Hey, what's up? It's Mr. Bill. The track you're listening to right now is the result of a 35-hour tutorial series where I recorded the process of making this song from start to finish and explained myself along the way. If you're interested in learning how to make music or sharpening your craft, go to mrbillstunes.com and check it out. Enjoy the tune. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Sick. All right, dude. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad that we're getting to do one again. You're, you're definitely one of my favorite guests to have on. I feel like we have the the most interesting conversations. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the few podcasts that I, I hate saying this because I'm sure somebody else who has a podcast will hear it. But this is one of the few that I, I like. I feel like a lot of podcasts just kind of get into talking about people that they mutually know for too long or something or they just have the prescribed questions to market something and you're not marketing anything sobriety maybe yeah that's about about it things like that. no i i think like with my entire project um and probably the same as you i just get bored and i just like to do shit and so i just find things that i enjoy to do whether it be like making videos about random things in ableton or just having conversations with people or whatever um, you know, I, I think I got into podcasting because I was just listening to other people's podcasts and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I, and as I was listening, I'd always want to interject and be like, oh, that gives me an idea. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But it's like you're sitting there in a room that you can't uh, interject in. So I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I like podcasts a lot. So I was like, I'm just going to start one. And yeah, I'm not really going to like aim it towards pushing any specific type of agenda other than having conversations. Well, you've been really consistent with it, which I think is the one thing that most people have issues with, with any sort of thing like a podcast. I think just the consistency is key to actually getting it off the ground. And most people have like six episodes and then don't make any for a year. <laughs> well, I did have a year where I didn't really make any, like during the worst part of my addiction stuff last year, I wasn't making any. Um, but I was like convincing myself like, oh, I can totally do all my work. Well, yeah. done ketamine, but definitely can't, especially not podcasts or videos, like anything that requires any sort of like a reliable train of thought, basically. Hmm. Yeah. So like music production, kind of fine, because you can have unreliable train of thought there and, and still get by. But uh, yeah, podcasts and videos, no good. Yeah. Did you, I mean, did you find a slump in your music production at all? I guess in the, well, I feel like everybody's obsessed with finishing the song, for, which is mm. sort of the what most people consider their goal is finishing the song, getting it out there. Did you notice a so, uh, drop on that? Um, to some degree, yes, and to some degree, no. So for, so I think finishing the song is more about changing your mindset than actually like doing things to the tangible end up like wave right. file. 
it's more about coming to a point where you're like, I can't be fucking bothered with this anymore. And at least for me, that's that's how it manifests itself is is in a, I cannot listen to this song one more time type attitude. Yeah. And then I ended up just rendering it and sending it to mastering and being like, all right, let's just put this out. Um, <clears throat> so in that way, on ketamine, I would consider things finished way earlier <laughs> because <laughs> I'd be like, this sounds great. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of the actual like tangible end result, it was definitely worse. And yeah. I think I finished like in a technical sense, I finished way less stuff. But in a uh, an emotional sense, <laughs> everything was finished. It was all fine. Yeah. I, I feel like in the YouTube space, um, that that's sort of the you know get to finish more songs. I'm going to show you why you're not finishing more songs. That seems to be a very mm -hmm. popular topic and I, and I never really got it because it's like do you enjoy writing music that's really all there needs to be i guess just because it's like well, if you're an amateur musician and it's like okay you're gonna finish the song and then what you're gonna put it on spotify and and get millions of dollars and no you know you're just gonna like you're gonna put it on spotify and then not get paid for it and it, it just the economy's broken so it's like it, it, it's almost better to be zen about it and just try to hone in on enjoying writing music. I think that's an important part of it, but obviously the other important part to tackle is uh, like, do you enjoy writing music? Do you want to be able to do it every day and yeah. not feel guilty about it? And also, you know, f feel confident in it and like all these other, I, I really think it's trying to tackle like a, definitely the economic side of it. Like, uh, getting things finished for that reason but also for sure the like emotional side of it like do you want to make this your job i think is really a better title for that video yeah yeah and i don't know what to tell people anymore with the do you want to make music a job because it's it's like yeah i don't i don't see a path to making that a job for most people anymore where it you was like, a, like it was like a narrow be... path when i was young but now it's like right. gone it's it's mm depressing I, I think it's just like you have to be extremely entrepreneurial about it like for instance for you you obviously have a lot of music out there that's all like you know you're getting stream money off that and then you have like other things that make you money like youtube and then you know sponsorships or your patreon people sending you things for review like all that kind of stuff so i don't know i, I just think like uh to just make music and just play live shows and make that your job is extremely rare these days. I know like a handful of my friends that can do that yeah. and can do nothing else but that, like make music, put out albums and play shows and that's it. Um, <clears throat> and even less that can just do the music thing and no shows. Uh, and even then those people are still doing other stuff. Like they're still, they're being entrepreneurial about it, entrepreneurial about it because they then are getting to the size where they become their own promoters. So they take a larger cut of the money and to put on your own show, obviously you need to be very entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, and then obviously they're well, not all obviously, but sometimes they're doing merch as well. And you know, they, you just have to kind of like figure out like, all right, I've got fans. They're willing to support me in, in doing this thing. How many like possible things can I sell them? And then you need to sort of create a value ladder almost, which yeah. is like a shitty markety way to look at it. But that's the truth. It's like if somebody wants to come and give you five grand for being Ben Jordan, is there any option that you have for that? Like, can I? Is there any possible thing that somebody can buy from you that's five grand? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I sort of look at it like. Uh, well, the answer is yes, right? Because they can yeah. pay you that for a gear review. But a lot of 
people don't do that. They will be like, all right, I've got music. I'll put that out online and then I've got shows. And so your value ladder stops at about 30 cents for a stream. Right. If even that much. Right. right. And, and I think that's sort of like what I was. Yeah, that that's I've been thinking about it a lot differently is like rather than, I guess, quantifying value into trying to put value on IP, which which is like what we've been trying to do forever. And that's it, it worked really well when we had CDs and vinyl and stuff. But now that it's just information, just you mm. know, going going over there, um, it's it, it's I mean, it's sillier than crypto for sure. You know, it's like it's a pretty silly concept when you think about it. And so. However, so so you could share a song. I could I could share one of your songs as many times as as I you know physically can uh, without paying you. And however, I can't get the experience of your new music coming out without paying you. And so I guess that that's sort of what I've tried to hone in on with with things now is like rather than being like no buy my music it's more like no like be part of this community because that is that's actually valuable and there's scarcity to that but there is no scarcity to the files or to the content that i'm putting out it's you know mm. the human that is scarce yeah that makes sense uh yeah i guess patreon is kind of clever in that way uh how's your patreon going by the way like you started one a while ago now and, yeah. and i've seen at the end of your videos now you you mentioned that you don't even take sponsors anymore you just do patreon yeah. so, so you do no sponsorships at all anymore yeah yeah it's it's since i think april april or may i think is when i f i got the actual like paperwork from the state um to be a nonprofit. uh and so it's patreon pretty much patreon and some ad revenue from google just like the normal google adsense stuff uh as far as Companies can pay me if they want, like if they really like, for example, like Polyend might be like, hey, do you want to go on another trip? We'll pay for the trip, you know, and then you can make music if you want. Like it's very loose, stuff like that. And it essentially just kind of all works out, breaks even at the end, um, if that. However, uh, yeah, I, I do feel weird about, for example, I can't, I'm not going to mention the company in a podcast, but one company offered me $7,500 to like feature a new product that's coming out that I'm very familiar with. And I had to be like, I, yes, I will absolutely feature it. I've, I've known about the product for three years. I'll absolutely feature it, but I cannot accept that much money. I can't accept money for it unless it's part of a project where like you send me to a cabin or, you know, some weird cool thing. And if you want to do that, then we could have that discussion. But otherwise, you know, it'll just show up on my 990 form that you paid me this much money and it'll be a scandal for you, you know? <laughs> so like, Wait, why, why would that be a scandal for them? I think just if the average person found out that like, you know, a YouTube feature review is paid by the company, they'll just, they'd probably feel like, you know, that wasn't disclosed at the time. But and, don't you have to disclose it in mm -hmm. the start of your video? You have to be like these people, although I've seen a lot of people doing that on YouTube at least. It's really it for lack of a better term it's just really fucky like it's they want you to i mean the the actual rules that the uh ftc has on influencers is absolutely crazy like nobody's following them correctly I, i'm not even sure if it would be possible to follow them correctly like you <clears throat> if you have like a friend 
who works for a company and then you mention that company it, and it, if it's in a live stream you have to like declare that every however many you know once an hour or once every half hour you know or whatever they deem reasonable and so it's just this like and none of it's like bound by law at all like you can't actually go to jail for breaking those rules so it's just this weird sort of and and okay so here's a here's a funny thing um that i was thinking because i did a video on like the where i just sort of read out how much money i'm offered to read vpn ads and stuff like that and in but like when you think about the ftc rules with anything like if a company that i'm familiar with like let's just say polyend they send me something that that you know is a prototype i do it on a stream like I would have to mark that as paid promotion, even though I wasn't paid anything for it, even though they sent me a prototype that I can't sell. So I'm not making anything, right? But you, according to the FTC and YouTube's guidelines, I would have to mark that as paid promotion. And then uh, if you watch like World War Z or something, right? And like how many product placements there are. And can you imagine if they had to like adhere to the same standards? If like Brad Pitt had to open his Pepsi and be like, Pepsi does not make you immune from zombies. Pepsi is not actually, you know, wouldn't be cold in a, like, like all the disclaimers that we would have to make, it's never used in any other form of media. It's like. Just so, YouTube and Instagram and stuff. Yeah. So it's just, and nobody follows it because it's just not realistic. Um, and, and it, I mean, don't shoot the messenger, because <laughs> I feel like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's a lot of people who who are probably like, I follow it as close as I possibly can. And I mean, I, I guess some people try more than I do, but I figured that just going nonprofit and removing that conflict of interest from mm. right off the bat and just being 100% transparent was the best way to go forward. So what? So the benefit of the nonprofit for you is that, and what is the, like, is there any other benefit to becoming a nonprofit? It, like, I'm just, I, I think transparency is really important. Like it's just super important for for people to be paid right, for for creators, for like this whole influencer creator economy to actually level itself out for people to be p paid fairly. They have to tell each other how much they're being paid for things and they have to tell their viewers how much they're being paid for things. And I think like it, there's a lot of companies don't want you to do that and then a lot of creators don't want to do that because you know, they don't want somebody who's getting paid less to find out that they're getting paid more because on the piece of the pie, but really you just want everything to stabilize and you want to know how much this industry is actually worth because, uh, but at the end of the day, it also just feels gross to be paid money to feature something because if you're paid money to feature something, then you can't really criticize it. Like you're expected not to criticize it. Or if you have critique, you're expected to probably talk to the company first and, you know, maybe they'll help you resolve the issue or maybe they'll stall the video or, you know, there'll be some sort of thing. Um, but if you don't take that money, then you're free to say what you want. And if the company has a problem with it, you could tell them to get fucked. So it's like pretty. I've seen a lot of videos recently of people who get sent gear and they disclose at the start of the video, I've been sent this piece of gear uh, and the company wanted me to do a thing on it. I've been paid for it, but they have no say in the in the review and they don't even get to see it before it's uploaded. Yeah. So is that, why don't you just do that? Um, I mean, that, that was already my, that was already pretty much my policy. I didn't really mention it, but yeah, like the one time 
I think one time I've I've it was like a audible ad read or something they wanted to see my video before it went live and I just and that was the last one I ever did I just felt really gross about it I didn't like it I, I don't like having approval from somebody else from my own channel you know it's like it's already an internal conflict yeah. of like authoritarianism <laughs> or something uh yeah but I I think just for me the, like having as the, but an interesting thing is once I went nonprofit, I feel like my viewer viewership went up by a lot, which is kind of and I don't think it was because I because people knew I went nonprofit. I think it was because I just really no longer cared about mm. a financial incentive from the video doing well or not doing well. It or, just seemed a little bit more legitimate or something. Yeah, but like also you it didn't. Came through. You also stopped having to put that your videos were paid promotion when you uploaded them, right? And maybe the algorithm to some degree, you know, shadows them a little bit when they have that box clicked. The only way I ever did the paid promotion was if I was doing an ad read. Mm. Like if I was actually getting paid But then like forward. during the upload, you would have had to click, this has got a paid promotion in it, right? Yeah, yeah. Which you don't have to do now. So what I'm saying is like maybe... YouTube, uh, you know, doesn't hide those videos as much. Like maybe when you click that box, it like penalizes you a little bit in terms of the reach. I'm not sure. I mean, because there's a, there's a, yeah, when you think of all the biggest channels, they all have paid. Yeah. And in fact, I have a meeting tomorrow with a company that wants to buy a portion of my channel. I know this podcast won't be out by then. So that's why I'm going to say <laughs> it now. Because <laughs> I don't How does to... one buy a portion of your channel? I have no idea. That's why I'm having the meeting. I think it's like the reason I'm having the meeting is because it's like a really interesting deep dive. I don't have, I have no intention of selling any portion of my channel, but you're just curious. <laughs> yeah. I just want to see. I'm just going to be, you know, yeah, that, how it works. That's interesting. I mean, I know people um, quite often will build companies to sell them and they'll build, like, it happens a lot in the music community with festivals. You know, someone will start a festival, they'll run it for like five or six years until it's like a 10 or 20,000 person festival and then they'll sell the brand and everything yeah. over to AEG or Live Nation for some hideous amount of money. Um, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that's the thing with YouTube channels. I mean, I could see that being a thing but it wouldn't make any sense because like once you sell it off and and then you don't want to work for a company i assume that tells you what to do so you start a new channel and then what happens to your channel is like no longer the same channel um i bet you would have to like stay with it for a certain amount of years and then uh, be you like the, just... the joe rogan spotify deal or something yeah yeah and then they would essentially deal with all of your ad stuff and you'd have to mm. read the ad reads for them or for what they said. Uh, what, which, what would be your price point at which you would agree to something like that? Um, it would have to be in the millions of dollars, right? Yeah, it would have to be in the millions. Um, and hey, I, I think it, it would have to be enough money to where it was like ethically problematic to not do it, right? Because it was mm. like, like if you think about it, like... Like how much good can I do with X amount of money versus... Exactly, you know, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. The, those questions where it's like, how much would it cost for you to, you know, be a prostitute or something? And my yeah. number is always pretty low because it's like, I mean, when you think about like how much you could give to charity, it's like kind of shitty to not like take one for the team at that point. That's a good point. Yeah. But, yeah. Take one for a hundred grand, give it to all altruistic. <laughs> exactly. You could save so many lives with that. And all you got to do is just sort of. Effective altruism know. donation yeah. or something. Right. <laughs> um. So 
How does it, I'm not really sure how a nonprofit operates. I know I've looked into it before and I know when I looked into it, I was like, wait a sec, this doesn't seem like it's what the name sounds like it is. Yeah. So it's like people still make money in the nonprofit organization. So there is profits being made. So I'm, I'm still curious as to why it's named that. Not, not so profits aren't made. If profits are made, they have to be donated elsewhere. You can't really. It's like the c- business itself doesn't profit, right? But like yeah. people working for the business still get paid. And I think that's where I was like, that kind of seems shady because you could start a nonprofit. The business could earn nothing, but you could be earning like a ton. Yeah. And it would still be like by the rules of nonprofit. Well, it is 100% transparent. So, like, I think a lot of nonprofits that are getting donations, which, by the way, I'm not, you know, other than Patreon, I'm not, I'm not asking for like tax deductible grants or anything like that. Um, I, I may in the future if I do like higher level educational content or something that requires bigger budgets. But, um, yeah, for example, I don't pay myself anything in the nonprofit this year, but in the future, like, I could pay myself something, but. Everybody would be able to see it. It would be very transparent. And oh, if like it were... you have to put all of your records public or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's oh, interesting. Like the... So wait, where can one go to view the payment records for your specific organization? If you just search uh, Alpha Basic Incorporated in Georgia, I don't know if they're up yet just because the wheels of government turn incredibly slow, but it's usually in the 990 form. So like any nonprofit, you could just search nine, you know, nonprofit name nine ninety, and then, you know, sometimes you won't be able to see the most recent year, just because again it takes a while to file. But you can, you can always see how much the salaries are, how much they're getting, how much they're giving, how much they're paying for, you know, certain things. Hmm. And, and it's That's complete. Awesome yeah, you're... it's yeah, it's good that you're being that transparent with it. It's admirable for sure. Um, speaking of being a prostitute. And taking one for the team. <laughs> I know this is a horrible segue, but one thing yeah. I said I wanted to chat with you about is um and transparency, the, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> is that a court case that we couldn't talk about on the last two podcasts? Yeah. Um, first of all, why why couldn't you talk about the court case on the last? I don't really understand court cases in that way. Like in the um, so they were still basically. So the court case was, God, I think it went on. All, all in all, I think it just it, it almost lasted three years of of this this it wasn't really like a trial. It was just this long process of discovery and a lot of interviews, a lot of uh, things like that. And so uh, it was essentially me versus the Archdiocese of Chicago. Um, and so which is like a jurisdiction of churches, right? Yeah, of of Catholicism. So it's like that's sort of the Chicago and Chicagoland area uh, subgenre of you know, I, I don't know subgenre. Uh, sort of the that sect of Catholicism. Of so it's what Catholic like ten church. or fifteen or twenty or thirty churches or something like that. Yeah, um, I'm not sure how many exist inside it actually, but uh, quite quite. And a this few. Uh, specific. Well, first of all, let's um, maybe tell people what the case was for, and I'll let you yeah. do that, so you can say as much or as little as you like. Sure. Yeah. No. Um. I was I was a uh, victim of abuse as a child from a pastor of a church. Uh, the pastor of the church was, um, I guess, to like not get super graphic, but like uh, it went on for almost well, under a year, and then uh, it, it got 
when things got violent, I tattled on him and I told the principal of my school, who was a nun, and then she threatened to have me expelled and suspended me. Uh, told my parents I made up a, or told my grandparents I made up a story, um, you know, and then I got ended up getting punished for that as well. After that, my grades just kind of like plummeted. I, I stopped going to school as much as possible. I brought weapons to school. Um, it, you know, I just sort of acted like what a, um, uh, I guess, eleven-ish uh, year old kid would behave like in that in those circumstances. Uh, and then, fast forward many many years, uh, I finally was like, okay, uh, I'm going to sue you, and it's for a really lot of money, or um, we could negotiate and you could set up uh, independent psychological evaluation, like, you know, but you could fund an independent psychological evaluation center that would be, you know, be looking after clergy to make sure that this doesn't happen to people in the future to prevent it because they've done not that much to prevent it from happening and they've done a lot of paying out damages and stuff, but it's kind of like, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I could probably rest easier with the whole situation knowing that it's less likely to happen than I would with like a million dollars, you know? So, mm. um, but it was still extremely expensive. It was like, it, it was a very weird, incredibly long process that like was way more difficult than most people would consider. However, um, I think I sent you a link before this, the, yeah, yeah I read it, the attorney general of, uh, of Illinois, um, yeah, I mean, like a, a lot of high-level politicians, they they made a, I think it's like 650-page report on it. It's like I didn't read that one. I read yeah. the the shorter web <laughs> version. Yeah, yeah, just that. That's just like the one page of that that particular pastor. But yeah, I mean, they made a massive report on it um, that took years to make, and. Uh, Part of it for me too, you know, the, obviously they wanted me to sign an NDA, uh, the archdiocese. That was like the first thing they mentioned in the negotiations was like, all right, well, like, let's negotiate the price of like an NDA. And it was just like, no, like, you've been, yeah. like this whole thing's been kept secret for like, why would, you know, that's the least moral thing you could do, I think, in the, this, or I guess for me at least, was like, you know, owning this is part of it. Like, you want people to continue to come forward and you want people to, uh, you want this problem to be solved. So for me, I felt like it was important that I, you know, was as transparent as possible, I guess. Yeah, it's wild that the you hear this story all the time of, like, kids being either sexually or physically abused by, mm -hmm. uh, you know, priests or pastors or whatever you call them. Um, so, yeah, no, I think that's a, <clears throat> a solid list of demands to be like all right start a psychological uh you know clinic where you can send all these passes and shit so that they don't do this shit anymore and so what what was the end result of this like what what did you did you end up getting paid out did they end up starting this clinic or did this guy get sent to jail or yeah, well, so, okay, so my, the reason I was able to sue the archdiocese was because there was significant proof that this same, uh, this same pastor, um, his name's Father Hagen, or was Father Hagen. Yeah, James no Craig Hagen. Yeah, 
Uh, this same pastor, he was uh, essentially busted for being very inappropriate and sexually inappropriate to children. And then how, they just, how exactly was he busted? Because usually these things are just like the victim's word against the other person's word. Yeah, but you know this is like back in the late eighties, and, right. and it, it, this definitely was. And so you have kids coming forward and telling their parents that you know, and the parents then go forward and and they have enough substantial proof to where they have to remove him from the community, mm. and then they move him to a new parish, and, and right, they did a that a few times. Different yeah. jurisdiction. Right. Fresh meat. It's like... So funny he is here at the moment, we're like working on the set together and I told him, I was reading this this morning and he was sitting here next to me and he was, he literally said the exact same thing. He was like, oh, I got the shit beaten out of even by, by nuns in Italy oh, when, he, when yeah. he was growing up there. And then he was like, and all they do is move him to somewhere else, like a different jurisdiction. So instead yeah. of being part of the Archdiocese of Chicago, they just get moved down to Joliet or something. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so wild. Right. And so that's like, that's how these lawsuits can exist because the statute of limitations was like, and I think that's why the attorney general got so involved after the case was because the statute of limitations, what essentially, I don't think he was ever arrested for anything. I think how? He, how do you get away with that and not go to jail for like raping like 20 kids? The church just is, well, is this massively powerful, uh, system that just they moved him up to Wisconsin and they they took away his priesthood and they moved him up to Wisconsin and uh, he lives in his he lived in his mother's farmhouse or something for however many years and and I think it just but it's just that the statute of limitations it's that like they if at that time I think it was like a year like it's like if, if this kid doesn't come forward and prove it within a year then you get off scot-free um, and now that's much different. Like they've changed the yeah, statute of limitations. that's also wild. But the statute of limitations from the 80s still applies to my case, right? Because it happened during that statute of limitations. And so then there's another statute. Um, <laughs> so if you, so because you didn't come forward within a year, it's not like uh, an arrestable or like yeah, lock, lockable offense. Yeah, it's not a criminal offense. But you can um, still sue him for well, what exactly? So I, so then that stat, there's another statute of limitations that I think was, yeah, I think it was one year. It was the same statute of limitations, and that applied for civil damages. And so basically what, like what my case was contingent on was discovery of damages. And so for me, it was like, okay— I, I find, and it, it took me a really long time because I had to live my life to be able to say what the damages were to like figure it out. You know, That's you really also have to a good like, point. Yeah, you don't really understand like exactly how this stuff is going to affect you until you go through life a bit, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I got, it was, it was bef a little bit before COVID when I was like, hey, I think all this stuff's tying together now. <laughs> like I think, and I do think that I could have made a lot more money had, you know, had I not had like weird, uh, I, I guess just that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things about like, I, I'm extremely emetophobic. I'm scared of flying. I'm scared of flying because I'm emetophobic. I'm emetophobic. What is, what is metaphobic? Uh, emetophobic? It's a uh, fear of oh. vomiting. And so, oh, gotcha. Okay. And so I have, I, the last time I vomited in my life, there's like unbelievable to most people, but the last time I vomited in my life was after an event 
of, of sexual assault from that priest. I've never vomited again. And I'm like, I'm terrified of vomiting. Like I, I, I joke, I don't know if I would actually do it, but I joke that like, you know, if somebody, you know, handed me a gun and convinced me that I was going to vomit in 60 seconds at like 59 seconds, I'd kill myself because it's like the most terrifying thing in the world for no reason. I don't actually have any, you know, it's, it's very, it's silly, but it's just and I feel like, like is a, it's linked via like a neural network to that same traumatic yeah, event, right? It's and, the most like direct link to it. And right. so, you know, and also the idea of like losing control of your body and, you know, all these other things. And so, you get on an airplane and you have a barf bag in front of you. And if you mm. feel nauseated, you can't get up and do anything about it if you are if you have to keep your seatbelt on. And it's like the most terrifying thing. You know, that's, it's mm. like associated with vomiting and you can't, you don't have like the freedom to move around. Um, and so you think about that and then it's like, okay, how many gigs did I not play? <laughs> right, because you couldn't fly to London or something. Right, and how many like... And then, like, what's the accumulative snowball effect of that? Uh, and then, yeah, and just, you know, all sorts of things like that. Uh, obviously, attorneys will try and, um, you know, they, they want to look through everything and they want to, they, they want a psychiatrist to try and make that list as big as possible. But you kind of have to be realistic at the end of it because, you know, what you want is to. I guess the entire reason I did it was so I could get past it because my entire life, you know, I tell people I was like an altar boy um, or, you know, if it came up, if people were like, oh, are you religious? And I'd be like, no, but I used to be an altar boy. And they'd always have that like, oh, were you diddled joke? And, you know, I'd be like, yeah, kind of actually, but it doesn't bother me. You know, I'm, I'm past it now. And I think it took me until I was like in my late 30s to actually realize like, oh, shit, there's a lot of like damage there. <laughs> you know, like that was... That defined the rest of my life in a big way, and uh, and and you know some of it turned out probably in a way that's that some people would see as a positive when you consider like being a musician or being on some sort of weird emotional spectrum. But um, certainly a lot of it's negative too, like the depersonalization, derealization, uh, the amount that you that that I've spent on mental health care in my life from the age of sixteen until now is you know huge. So. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you told me once that you have uh, some sort of obsessiveness to where when you start looking into something, you can't help but know literally every tiny little detail yeah. about it. And perhaps that's linked to some form of like control, right? Just yeah. like if I know everything about this, I'm in control of it. And as a result of that, obviously, you've become an extremely intelligent person with a really successful YouTube channel because you're basically like uh, due to this sort of emotional or personality trait, uh, uh, an autodidactic scientist kind of type. Yeah, it could also, it could also be a thing where like I've, uh, <clears throat> it maybe has made me a little bit more daring, perhaps, mm. like, you know, in, in a weird way. It's kind of like maybe I have thicker skin when it comes to calling out a big company that otherwise would lose me work in the future or something and i think a lot of my yeah, bigger videos well, are from that so yeah because i mean you've been in the position of having to call out the largest organization of them all basically yeah and you're like what possibly could go wrong if i call out behringer versus calling out the fucking church <laughs> yeah, right yeah um yeah and so uh, another crazy thing and yeah i haven't really i don't think i've ever really spoken about this because it's just like not something that 
you know, you usually just want to like bring up at a random like Thanksgiving dinner um, or, in a, you know, in a podcast about like Yamaha synths or something. Uh, <laughs> the the process of like like one thing that I thought was really important, but and, and I I immediately wanted to scream it from a mountaintop. But then I realized how complicated it is to scream from a mountaintop is like. When you go, if you're Catholic or if you've been Catholic and when you go to church and you put money in in the little donation thing on Sunday, a huge chunk of that money goes to court cases, investigating (laughs) and like, you know, taking uh, taking legitimacy away from victims of sexual assault. And I mean, it's fucking wild. They spent close from from my understanding, they spent close to two hundred thousand dollars on investigation, like which means just like, for your case. Yes, so like private investigator, like every single thing being opened up. Um, and they paid for this, the church. Yeah, that came out of the. Wait, isn't the, isn't it like uh, doesn't it whatever the opposite of behooves them to do that? Like, shouldn't they shouldn't they be like avoiding paying for that kind of shit because they don't want to open this case up? You would imagine, but I think they wanted to. So one thing that like they they found out, for example, that they brought up was, okay, hey, you got shot when you were 12. Maybe some of this trauma is due to that. <laughs> it's like, gotcha. What? So they want to they want to look into the time you were shot as well to try and like blame as much of it on other shit as possible. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I guess if the <clears throat> result of it is they have to potentially pay out a lot more than two hundred grand, then perhaps it's worth it as like a off offset cost or whatever. So, at the end of all of this, how how what was the result? Like the guy didn't get arrested or locked up. He just got moved to Wisconsin. But what was the result on your end? Did you end up getting paid or did you end up uh, getting some sort of retribution? I about broke even personally. Just With because the amount of money that you also had to spend on lawyers and stuff? The legal fees were well into the six figures. And so wow. um, I about broke even. It, uh, I may have come out a little bit higher on just like expenses and, and you know stuff like that. But can, um, can you say the final number that they had to pay you out or... I'm trying to. I'm not sure if I can. Uh, okay. That's right. We don't have to do that. Yeah. the The legal fee, like the actual number that that was paid outside of setting up independent, uh, independent, like that that number is much higher. But uh, the number of that they paid me out, it was it was under under three hundred thousand um, dollars. But it was for expensive and legal fees. Um, it was just so under three. At the end of it all. You maybe made a few grand, twenty grand, yeah. whatever. Yeah, probably, and yeah. this dude got moved to Wisconsin, and that's it. Yeah. And well, however, though, now the Catholic Church has to, you know, w- within a period of I think four years, they have left to set up an independent. Uh, oh, so you ended up getting that point pushed, yeah. so they have to set up a. Okay, and that's well, millions. That's good. Yeah, and that's that's yeah. a bigger deal. Well, that's awesome. And and so if you didn't have that in your terms, would that have been millions that you would have gotten instead of this other thing? Yeah, I could have easily said like at, I probably could have. I mean, they were just pushing it to that. They were just like, Ben, like you could live the rest of your life. You could adopt children. You could, 
you, you know, you could have a, there's so many things you could do. You can never have to work you mean again. Your you lawyers dedicate, were pushing this? No, no, the church, the archdiocese. Um, huh. They're, because they have people who only do this. They only negotiate with Yeah, they have sex like probably a stuff. full law team. Right. Shit. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, they were just like, well, let's just concentrate on you. Let's concentrate on your wellness. You know, and stuff like that, and it's like, no, let's let's concentrate on preventing this. Yeah, the, systemless, the <laughs> yeah. systematic problem <laughs> right. of yeah, and, church rape. Right, and and I just you know I consistently, I was I was very consistent about it, where it was just like, no, my wellness is contingent on knowing that that problem will be solved. Otherwise, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, I'm not poor. I'm not mm. like this isn't like a big payout for me. This is you know. New, like, yes, it would be cool to just be given like $1.5 million or something because my case was the strongest in that archdiocese that they've had, that they've ever seen. Um, and wait, why? What was it that made your case so much stronger? Um, uh, so oddly enough, so like most of the time, if if you were to remember something that happened that was crappy in your childhood, like anybody who's listening to this, like try and remember something that was crappier in your childhood and now try and prove it. And like all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, yeah, I could prove it. Okay, well, what day was it on? Right. What was the hour? What was the uh, – what location was? Can you prove what the location looked like at that time, the, uh, at the date that you've had it? And then uh, do you have any photos? Do you have any – like all of these things are really contingent on building a case. I have photos randomly taken of, like, this pastor with his hands on me, like, with his hands around my neck, not, like, not, like, choking, but, like, you know, just almost, like, like, I, I have, I mean, they're not, like, they're not, like, smoking gun, but they, like, that's very, very rare. I was able to describe um, another part in the back of most large Catholic churches, you have a massive safe that like, like one of those like Ocean's Eleven safes with like the turny, <laughs> the turning thing that opens up and inside you have a bunch of gold and diamonds and relics from the saint and nobody's allowed in there except for the pastor and maybe another priest. Um, but like some of the clergy is not even allowed in there. Altar boys are absolutely not allowed in there because you could easily stick a million dollar thing in your pocket. Right. I got let in there. I was able to describe everything that they had. Um, not every, you know, not down to the, but I was able to like draw little diagrams of it and say, yep, they had this chalice. They had this, they had a piece of bone from St. Dennis. They had all these things back there. And then, you know, they just compare that with the records and they're like, ah, oh, fuck, you know, <laughs> he actually was in there. That's, that's very telling. Um, and, uh, and as far as like, me getting suspended from school, me like my grades going down directly after that event. I was able to narrow most of the events down because I was sort of bribed with the, this is like the saddest thing you'll ever hear. I, I apologize to anybody who's listening. It's not even graphic, but it's just like it's it's one of those things that you listen to and you're just like, God damn, this world sucks. So I really, really wanted a Nintendo. I wanted to play Super Mario Brothers 2 really, really bad. And my grandpa was like, well, then shovel some snow and save up for a Nintendo. And I was like, okay. And I finally did. And then 
I was like, okay, I, I, I have enough for a Nintendo. And he's like, well, yeah, but you need a TV because it'll break ours. You know, like Nintendo's break TVs, which obviously isn't true. But, you know, <laughs> in the 80s, that's what people thought. And so then I was like, no, you know, another $300 to save. And while this was going on, this pastor was buying me issues of Nintendo Power because that had just come out. And, Which is like a magazine or something? Yeah. And so I was being like groomed with Nintendo Power magazines because that was like my way of playing Nintendo is I would just read about the games and sort of, you know, imagine I was playing them. And uh, but I was able to go back and like actually find the dates of these cause when they were in stores and stuff. And that was one of the ways I was able to date a lot of these events because I remember getting that issue of Nintendo Power with, you know, Super Mario Brothers 2 on and now I know when that came out and when that was available and stuff. And so that was actually a way to tie it all together was through Nintendo Power Issues, vintage ones. Damn. Which, yeah. That is a wild story. Well, I um, can't say that I'm happy about the result. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I he should have been arrested. Well, if you're happy, um, that's yeah. great. But I, that seems so fucked, though, that like this priest just gets to do all this shit for all this time and then just ends up being moved into a farmhouse in Wisconsin. Like, that's his huge punishment. I mean... I mean, I guess he has to live with himself and all that. Well, I mean, it's it's also, like, would you rather be, like, in a prison system that has, like, a library and pr maybe some sort of education system or would you rather be, like, alone in a farmhouse in Wisconsin. It's alone like in a farmhouse, 100%, man. I went oh, to jail I, a few no, years ago. Yeah, you were, in, you were in like a holding cell, though. I'm talking about like prison. No, no, no. I was in like, well, I wasn't in like prison prison, but I was in like yeah. jail with like bad people. Yeah. And fuck that, man. Like I would never want to go there again. And hmm. yeah, I mean, I think that is worse than being alone anywhere in yeah. not there. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I I prefer to be alone than around those kind of people for sure. Yeah. Like especially like I'm not a like tough, you know, strong kind of dude or anything. Right. Yeah, I was getting bullied in there from the moment I walked in. Like they could just tell that I'm like not supposed yeah. to be in there kind of. They um, they had to put me in solitary because I was yeah, getting bullied was... a bunch, and they were like, uh, and I went up to him. I was like, dude. I'm just I'm just gonna fucking kill myself if if I have to be around these people and they're like you're going to solitary. <laughs> Those are the magic words. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the other really crazy thing that that I found the most unbelievable was the actual like arbitrary like I it wasn't like a trial but basically like the sort of arbitration hearing um, when you decide. Like, basically, we had, we agreed to have a mediator who was a judge, who was an actual judge that, you know, got paid some obscene amount of money to mediate the case. And then it was done over, like, Zoom. But um, you, there was different rooms, and the uh, the people from the archdiocese, you know, they, they were in the same room with me on Zoom. And this was like because it was through COVID or they just do Yeah, through now? COVID, yeah. Oh, okay. um, and that was actually a really advantageous because like they're, you know, most of their tactics are an in-person thing and they, they try and get you to travel as much as possible and, you know, just try and wear you out and make you give up. Um, and also the suicide rate's very high when people are going through that process and they know that and it works to their advantage sometimes. And so... Is it because they have to, like, dig up all this, like, traumatic shit for the person? Yeah. And they you have to, like, essentially talk about, like, the worst thing that ever happened to you 
like in a hundred thousand times yeah, yeah in like front in, of yeah. a bunch of people that you're uncomfortable with yeah and so zoom covid in a weird way kind of helped that like immediately every all these things just went to zoom um so they had like these two different rooms and uh in the beginning they they were just like you're so brave you know we 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 were inspired by you and then they like went to a different room because talking to me directly would like hurt their negotiation power like cuz like it might make them feel something and so they literally went to another room and talked to me through the mediator who would come to talk to me and my my attorney and then talk to them and we would go back and forth and it was like the closest thing i could compare it to would be like if you were negotiating the price of a car like a used car but you can't sit in the same room with the person selling you the car and somebody's coming back and forth and it's like, almost like what buying a house is like for a minute yeah kind of right yeah it's um, like you have to put the money into this escrow account that both people can see but yeah. no one can touch and then you have to go through one real estate agent who chats to the other real estate agent and yeah and both and like you know they started with some insanely impossible number you know they were just like all right so like let's just call it a day at 15,000 you know and then like it's insulting they my my attorney's like swearing at the mediator and just like that's that this is absolutely insulting like we're leaving you know and then she's like no 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 hold on you know and it, it keeps going back and forth and then they play these weird games where they're like, all right, well, let's set, how about this? Let's set a negotiation bracket where the lowest we could go is 50,000 and the highest we could go is 80,000. But then they're like lowballing you on the negotiation bracket. And then they want to set up a bracket for that. And it's like the dumbest game you've ever played in your life. Like, and it lasts, it, it went on for so long that when dinner time, because it started early in the morning and at like seven, my attorney was like, well, we need some time to think about this and discuss this ourselves. And he was like, let's just go, go, go get dinner and come back in an hour and like, <laughs> just let them wait. And like, yeah. And so we were like doing weird things like that, but like all of that being connected to like, you know, childhood trauma and Catholicism is like the weirdest like rabbit hole ever and for people to understand that like they're paying for it when they give money to the church is like i think the message that i <laughs> that i want to scream from the mountaintops is like that absurd insane system is what you're paying for yeah it's wild yeah. i mean i haven't looked into it too much but i've definitely heard this story told many times by many different people personally yeah. or via podcasts or movies or whatever um sam harris had a podcast about it actually like a whole 30 minute monologue of just him talking and of which the punchline is basically just that yeah the church is literally just a whole ass organization set up specifically for the like abuse of small children like it's basically a big child porn rink is what he was yeah likening it to it is pretty i mean th there are other cases not in the chicago archdiocese but there's other cases where like nuns would like groom children and then bring them to the priests and and stuff which is like it, which is a real thing and it's like unbelievable it's like beyond QAnon to hear that you know it's just like that that's such a crazy like why like it doesn't make mm. any sense like why would the nuns do that why would why would this be like a multiple person thing but um it has to yeah. be just because they're like have this 
like story fed to them from the day they're born that if they don't do things pertaining to the church that they're going to go to hell like it's just this yeah it's from fear i think of of being like being convinced of a thing and then if you don't follow that thing that you're going to get you know put in a fiery hole for eternity it's the craziest story but yeah, yeah. I think like a lot, a lot of, uh, and they're weirdly, super manipulative too, right? Because they're like, yeah, yeah, but he loves you unconditionally unless you don't do what he says, and then you go into hell. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, that seems like a condition. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty big condition. Um, yeah, it's uh, it well, it I guess like this sort of also this timeline also sort of runs into the. Uh, the timeline of like everybody being accused of being a pedophile constantly everywhere just you know just right because i mean of, you get accused of that right Judy, uh, yeah glinner uh the the writer of uh oh what, what's that show um it crowd he's like a super anti-trans person and like that's his job now is he's just like an anti-trans activist which is like you know it's just it's how just does one a, make that their job uh he just wrote a book I think um, he he basically just has a very popular Twitter account now that posts pictures of trans people and makes fun of them and calls them rapists and pedophiles and things like that. And uh, yeah, he posted a photo of me from one of my videos where I'm on a swing in a children's playground explaining how like kinetic physics works in sound waves. I was using that as like an example. And um you know, and just like, and because I had like stood up for trans people in the past that, you know, therefore like, look, here's this pedophile. He's at the school, you know, and he's been sued so many times already. It's, it's the whole thing silly. But anyway, it, just a weird, a weird life arc to have like the creator of the IT crowd call yeah, you a pedophile. Yeah, the show was so sick. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wait, um, so how, how did you pay for like this whole thing? Because you said it costs like, you know, so I'm imagining like 300 grand or something. Um, How did you fund this whole thing? It was my legal fees are retroactive. If if I had lost, um, I probably would have still owed something, but not that much. The law firm I worked with was great. Like they, so how, yeah. How does that work for the law firm? Because they obviously have to take on this case, which is retroactively paid to them yeah. if you win. But what they're just confident that it's going to win, and then therefore they're like, we'll take yeah. it because we're confident that's you know pro bono work for now, but we'll get paid eventually. Yeah, when I first talked to them, it was kind of like, well, um, you know, I can afford to pay you, but there's obviously a limit on that. And then I think, you know, once they saw that my case was extremely strong, they were like, okay, we could work on contingency, like. Um, because, you know, they were sure that it was going to be settled or it was going to actually go to a public trial, which would have taken another five years, but cost the church, you know, significantly more money. Um, yeah, but I mean, still the ratio of how much it's costing them to the amount they have compared to the amount it's costing you versus the amount you have is still yeah very uh, right. um, not, not even. <laughs> yeah, it's... Like uh, as a ratio, it's like... 100% of your money and as a ratio to them it's like 0.00001% of theirs. Yeah, yeah, it's um well also there's like uh another thing that I think is like lost a lot in this entire discussion um is like why it happens. Like I feel like nobody really ever asks that question. Like they're very obsessed with like pedophiles going to jail and getting what's coming to them, but they don't really want to be like, 
well, where did that happen? And like, I, I, I think that like my best hypothesis is that, um, like I would imagine if you were like a 17 year old and you found yourself fancying children, or if you, you know, if you're a religious 17 year old and you're gay and you, and you realize that you're gay, you might become a priest because priests have to abstain. And that would be your way of like, you know, doing right by God from what the devil's doing to you or, you know, something like that. Like I could see that logic. And what, by having sex with kids who you think aren't going to tell anybody about it? Right. But I think, I think 20 years down the line, then, you know, you're still a pedophile or you're still gay, you know, whatever these things are. And so you still have, cause there's, I mean, there's also a huge amount of priests who do like the, they're, they're on grinder, they're, uh, a huge amount, yeah. Apparently, a huge amount of priests use grinder. There's uh, a reasonably large priest population that does things like dogging and glory holes and stuff. And so, it, it's and I want to I want to be very clear that that's not pedophilia, and I don't I don't mix the two things up. But um, no, th- those things seem okay. But but I th- but I would think that the the chances of like being a religious person realizing that you're gay. And then your way of doing right by God or your way of ungaying yourself would be to become ordained. Like that kind of makes sense. It's like to in that mindset, you would imagine. And You're so, like, oh, it offsets it. Yeah. And like, like you know. I'm gay if, and that's a sin. But if I become an ordained minister, yes. then I'll, I'll probably still go to heaven even though I'm yeah. gay. Right. Yeah. And I'll, yeah, I'll probably. I'll but surely be, you can't still keep up that ruse in your head of I'm still going to go <laughs> right. to 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 heaven after you like raping kids. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I feel like at that point things like, have well, gotten completely. Well, it's fine because I'm ordained. You know, he'll look past that. And I'm a minister. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Like, what? Who knows if it's like? I can't even like. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine what the psychology is because I can't imagine taking advantage of somebody at that level. But. Um, I guess it, it's like one of those things where it's like if you have if you prevent it, you actually have to like ask those questions and you terribly as as much as it sucks, you have to treat you, you have to treat them with some level of humanity to understand how they got to that point. So you could prevent it in the future, which. Yeah, um, I have a friend in Australia <clears throat> who became a uh, I can never I always mix up the two psychiatrist and psychologist. Which one doesn't do meds? A uh, psychiatrist does meds. Okay, so she's a psychologist, the, like, emotional one. Yeah. Um, and she has a client who's a pedophile who's not uh, an active pedophile. He's not, like, you yeah. know, touching kids or anything, but he knows he's a pedophile. And he's, she was like, yeah, it's an interesting... She obviously didn't tell me much about it because she couldn't, but she's just, yeah, like, it's interesting. She She's like, he's a pedophile. He knows he's a pedophile. He likes kids. He's not touching him or anything like that, but he's, like, here talking to me about this, like, desire that he has in trying to like work through the emotions of it preventing abuse right exactly it's like that's like the it's like the worst thing in the world publicly like the optics of saying this are terrible but like that is like one of the bravest most heroic things you could do is like be a pedophile and then actually go to a psychologist and say I'm a pedophile and I don't want to abuse kids. I don't want to be like supporting child porn networks or, you know, whatever it is. 
I don't want to be part of it. Help me. Like, because it's, that. It's the right thing to do for sure. But and yeah, I, feel I like guess a it's lot a lot of psychiatrists would also call the police and be like, hey, alert, you know, because they, they have the right to do that if they think you're going to harm someone. And so it's like but terrifying. It, yeah, I suppose. But yeah, definitely less terrifying than. I would imagine abusing a kid and then having to live with the guilt of it and the right. paranoia of you know, being locked up and being labeled a pedophile and stuff. That seems because that is like the worst possible. Like everyone after that fucking hates you. Yeah. Well, I mean, just imagine the curse of like being a pedophile, like the the life curse of that. Like, I I feel like that these are the things I've ruminated about <laughs> throughout this entire case. Was like not so much like. Grr, I hate him, but more like, how did he get this way? Like, that doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, I can't really follow the, the psychological pathway, but. Well, at the same time, the other night we were having dinner and you were saying, if we know every state of every atom in the universe yeah. and we are able to compute the probability of it <laughs> normal going a dinners, certain way. Normal dinner talk when we eat together. Yeah, yeah. 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 Then we could predict the future, basically, and we right. may be able to do that with quantum computing, yeah. in which case <clears throat> we could predict all of the pedophiles who are going to touch <laughs> kids and perhaps gain empathy for them in the sense yeah. that we could be like, well, he's unluckily about to do X for whatever un non-understandable yeah. reasons to us. Yeah. Um, and there, well, like, So does your hard determinism reach <laughs> to this level? Um. I'm not sure that we'll be like that we'll ever reach that point and be a still be a biological species, you know, like that. Well, might be, arguably not right now because I mean, right. technically, if you get in a car and you start moving your body uh, via inertia inside a shell at like you know ninety miles an hour to get to somewhere else in ten minutes that used to take you days. Yeah. Um, I mean, technically, that's some level of cyborg right there. And, I mean, we're also a cyborg in the sense that we just have these phones in our hands all the time. It's just our bandwidth is incredibly shit. You know, like yeah, the, I guess the like ability that... to get information from in your head into the phone and then back out into your head and, like, that bandwidth mm. right there is just heavily bottlenecked, but it's right. there. Yeah, I guess I mean, like, if, if you know, the Earth becomes uninhabitable in 2,000 years and we end up being able to upload our consciousness somewhere... Um, it would probably be easier to maintain and we'd I mean, be yeah, but Potentially the AI systems that are starting to be developed right now, like the large language models are maybe like the infant stage of our consciousness beginning to be uploaded, right? Because, I mean, that's technically like yeah. everything we've said and whatever in the last however many years or how whatever data they trained it on. It's a large part of our how we think and why. And Yeah, I don't... I, like, I don't know if that's actually consciousness, though, because I feel like consciousness, I would describe it as the state of what it is like to be. So, for instance, like a brick, no consciousness, like the experience of what it is like to be a brick is just there's no lights on, nothing. It's just complete nothing. Yeah. So well, I, I don't know how we're actually going to upload specifically that. We can we, upload information, obviously. Sorry, go on. No, we look at consciousness like a lot of people, well, most people, it seems like we, something is either conscience or not. Like we look at it as a binary thing and I don't really, not really sure that's the best way to do it. Like, you know, plants can sense other plants. They could sense the the temperature, you know, they could, they, they can 
op, they could use photosynthesis. Um, so like there's some level of intelligence and conscience that it's just very low. And then insects would be like higher than that. And then birds would be higher than that. And then mammals would be higher than that and so on until we get to us where like, you know, I feel like the human, the human experience of consciousness is, uh, being able to participate in philosophy to be able to actually say, what am I and what is this place I'm in? And then like try and make sense of it. And then also planning like other species can't plan that well. Yeah. Um, like the ability to abstract what will happen if you do these yeah. series of events next and what the state of the world can possibly be tomorrow if you do or don't do those things. Yeah. Like a dog can't play chess um, right. or understand, you know, <laughs> Although I have thought about like it with Lucy, she gets a bone, a tooth cleaning bone once every other day. And I have noticed that she's like pushier on the days when the bone is coming to her. <laughs> and I'm wondering like, what about mm. my behavior is changing? Like, do I know that she's like, is it something that she's detecting with me? Cause you know, she spends her day watching me. So she's going to notice any little subtlety. Or does she actually know, like, yesterday I didn't have a bone, today I get one? Like, what was that? Was it, um, who was the dude who would, like, ring the bell? Was it... Sh um, Pavlov's dog, pa yeah. Pavlov, yeah, maybe it's just like that. It's like a... But that was, like, an action that would right. do the thing, so... Yeah, that was, like, a direct yeah. neural pathway that he created. But this one's kind of weird because it's, it's a temporal one. Like, she mm. would have to understand that a day had passed... And that a new day. I, I feel like I need to like set up an experiment with her on this. Yeah, maybe it's like the amount of naps she's taken. She's like, all right, it's been seven <laughs> naps. <laughs> that yeah. would still be temporal though. So. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, or counting. Yeah, counting. How, how do you know she can tell? Or is it maybe you in your head that is thinking that she can tell? Believe it or not. So here's the thing is like, I'll. I'll have a bone. Uh, I have I have some here, like in my, in my desk, and I'll come downstairs after like dinner and making my coffee. I'll get back to work and I'll tell her to play the piano, and like and she'll like put her paws up on the piano and then I'll give her a bone or I'll have her do some sort of. And on bone days, if I forget to give her one, she'll actually start playing the piano and barking <laughs> and being like, "Yo!" But like she won't do that today because she got a bone yesterday. So like today she'll just come downstairs and go to bed. But like, YouTube tomorrow. does a does a similar thing, but it's not as on schedule as that. Yeah. Um, I used to have this like bag of uh, treats, and I've run out of them now. But they used to be sitting down there for like the last few months. And she would come in the studio a couple of times a day, and she'd like get up on there and scratch uh, that <laughs> bag of treats, and then I would give her a treat. And now the treats are not there. But there's a like a mini DSP microphone box there, which is like doesn't look anything like it, but it's still plastic. Yeah. And she'll like get up and like scratch that box, thinking that there's <laughs> treats in that instead. Or I I love it when like animals do something that's smart and stupid at the same time. Like <laughs> like like Lucy when she could hear better because she's old now and she's almost deaf. But like when she could hear better, like she would hear a plane outside, and then she would like look at the ceiling. Which I always thought was like the funniest, like the smartest, stupidest thing in the world is just like hearing a plane and then like <clears throat> looking, looking at the paint on the ceiling and being like, where is it? Dude, you, YouTube does that um, for various things as well. If like a sound goes outside, she'll quite often look up or if um, the HVAC goes on 
and oh, you okay. hear the hum in the roof, she'll like look up at the roof and which, I mean, it makes sense, but yeah. <laughs> obviously there's not going to be anything <laughs> to see. But yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah, I can't see the air, but yeah, that's, but yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, you know, I did a poll many years ago. I did this random poll on my Facebook page. I, I used to just send people to like massive polls and then like put all the data together and i i found out that like a really disturbingly large amount of people believe that dolphins are smarter than humans like are more yeah i mean they definitely are pretty smart and they definitely communicate yeah in a pretty intelligent way I, i mean i think they're like one of the smartest of the animals but i don't think they're as smart as humans and i think well, here's the here's the the place where I start to like question whether or not other species of animals are smarter than humans or not. So we've like evolved, we've like built houses where comfortability of life is all good and shit. But like everyone's on fucking antidepressants. Everyone is like you know having all these issues. Stephen Pinker did that study saying that shit's better than ever. But like I mean, at the same time, like the mental health shit is not good. Whereas like dolphins, they just stayed in the ocean where they were born and belonged, and I mean, for all we know, they're maybe depressed and want antidepressants yeah, they, too. Yeah, they like, still kill each other and stuff. Like, they're still... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I just, I got to question sometimes, like, whether or not we have gone in a positive direction or whether or not we still would have been better not evolving so much. Hmm. Yeah, it's... I mean, I'm having a pretty good time, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, because it's all comparative, right? It's like, I guess, if we were to, like, go back... If you were to go back to like hunter and gatherer times and just like have to exist, you'd be pretty miserable. It'd probably be even worse than jail, you know. Like just like yeah. But at like, the same time, it's like when life is that hard. Yeah. There's no room for anxiety or depression. So maybe the yes. anxiety and depression is actually a a positive side effect of advancing. Um, also, like the the way trauma works, like the physical presence of detecting trauma in the brain, and they found out that there is no, that like the severity of trauma doesn't actually make that big of a difference later on in life. Like whether it's like, you know, something horrific, like what we talked about earlier, or, you know, somebody just like being broken up with when they were 12 and like both of like those time things. heals it you mean no like both of those things like have the same likelihood of of turning into alcoholism or a mental health issue later just because the brain the brain just the brain is very binary with how it like holds trauma in. it's just well alcoholism like, is also specifically it's genetic right it's genetic also if you get the trauma and then you start drinking alcohol that's one thing but then once you're actually doing the drug there's a whole other can of worms that it opens up which is that it pings your reward center and then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden you need that to get the reward center ping and you're basically dopamine gets just completely hijacked by this thing um so i think like the trauma may like lead you to the first one but the one that leads you to the, the thousandth one is the drug Right, yeah. And the, the dopamine response you're getting from that. You know who did a, an odd monologue uh, about trauma was Kevin Smith, randomly. Interesting. Dude, he's I a think... fucking... Yeah, he makes, like, these insane comedy movies that are just, like, funny and dumb and, like, dick jokes and whatever. And then he makes something like Red State, which is, like, the craziest, yeah. like, yeah. psychological thriller drama ever. Yeah, he he just uploaded a video to YouTube... That's just, I think it's just called trauma is trauma or something. And he, and he just talks about how 
like he had a nervous breakdown and like his weight issues his entire life was because some girl called him fat when he was a kid and like so he's like and, i'll show you <laughs> yeah and well and like once he and that just then that became his you know he was always sort of like suffering under that under that thing and then he uh had a heart know, attack yeah yeah but i think like, he was doing stand-up comedy yeah that's that's crazy. Yeah, that was a weird, he. Yeah, I heard that story. And the, the, I think it was Joe Rogan. He was like, "Yeah, I was like doing stand up, then I just started to feel weird, and then I got off stage. Was like, I don't want to do the next one. I feel weird. Take me to the hospital." And the hospital guy was like, "Damn, are you in like a bunch of pain?" He's like, "No, not really." And he's like, "Well, you're doing it wrong. You're having a massive heart attack." Jeez. Yeah, that's that's terrible. I'm like getting to that age where I'm always like. Where I'll have like middle back pain and I'll be like, "Am I having a heart attack?" Like I think mm. you're supposed to sweat when you have a heart attack. I'll like check you're my pulse. Healthy as fuck though, man. Like you exercise a lot. You're in good shape. You eat well. I'm assuming. And eh. I, I think you're probably a pretty low risk for a heart attack, right? I'm I'm I, I'm on like the borderline of borderline cholesterol. I just just got my cholesterol tested for the first time in like 20 years. <laughs> so but, I just eat, eat less. Yeah, butter or red something, meat. Or yeah, <laughs> less red meat, I think. But I, right. I, I'm not sure there's that many Americans that aren't like borderline or higher with cholesterol, unless they're vegan or something. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I, I went vegetarian a few years ago because I read this book called Eating Animals by John Safran. Highly recommend it, by the way. Yeah. And the argument that hit me the hardest and made me go like, "Yeah, you're fucking right. I'm gonna go vegetarian." Was ethical consistency. Mm. It was like we don't eat like cats and dogs but like for some reason eating cows pigs and chickens is normalized from the day we're born and so we're just like yeah that seems normal right but like if you tried to feed me a cat i'd be like that's disgusting no way right or if you tried to feed me a dog i'd be like fuck no but if we did eat all the stray dogs and cats it would solve a huge factory farming problem it would make total <laughs> sense yeah. Um, so he was like, yeah, why aren't we ethically consistent? And I was like, that's a good point. Like if, if I had never been fed cow from the day I was born and then you tried to feed me a cow at this age, I'd probably be the same about it. I'd probably be like, that's gross. Fuck that. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I haven't had pork since I was a kid. I, I, well, since I was probably a young adult and the, I stopped eating pork because I read an article in Rolling Stone that uh, it was about, like, factory pork farming or something. And is something I read about it in there was about, like, how the pigs realized that they were being slaughtered. And I was mm. like, whoa. Yeah, pigs are incredibly smart, like, smarter and, than dogs, I think. Right. And so I started, like, you know, I guess just sort of, like, researching that and, you know, figuring out, okay, chickens and cows, they don't realize they're being slaughtered. Pigs do, and they run away and try and hide, which, like... I can't ethically, yeah, like that's beyond my ethical standards. Like I can't really, I, I would never ever tell somebody not to eat pork because of my ethic, but that makes me feel gross about it. It's like, mm -hmm. It just doesn't, I don't want it, like it doesn't make me hungry, you know? Um, however, a cow, a chicken, uh, I mean, I've, I've had chickens, I have ducks, they're, they're pretty dumb. I love yeah. them, but I, I also would not, it wouldn't break my heart if, like, you know, I had to. I mean, I say this as somebody who, like, gives them medicine to keep them alive and stuff, but, like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't love them the way I love my dog. Like, it's a right. very, very different 
But also um, that could be systematic, right? From the day you were born, you weren't taught to have a pet duck and love a duck. And also, um, I mean, I think it's a little harder to love something with uh, that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, dogs are obviously a really good companion, but it also has something probably to do with the fact that we've domesticated them for so long and have them yeah. with ducks, you know? Sure. Yeah. I, I, I mean, dogs are like the ultimate human parasite. Like they're, they're, when we pet them, we, uh, like when we pet a dog, uh, it releases a similar amount of oxytocin that a mother gets when she <clears throat> breastfeeds her child. Like, and uh, the dog gets that <laughs> oxytocin as well. Like it can't be that much, right? Like I, I can imagine like child is probably a lot more. I think it's pretty similar. I think the amounts are, really? are pretty, yeah. Um, but I do that not makes... really get this with dogs so much. I get it with, with my cat, Yeah. not with dogs. Um, yeah, I mean, dogs communicate better with humans than they do with other dogs. Like the tail wagging thing, like all that stuff is like for us. It's all a show for us because their chances of survival are so much higher when we love them. And so another weird stat that I found out that I, I now want to fact check now that I'm saying it out loud, but I, I 80% of all dogs live in garbage dumps in the world. Like I was just like, what? See, they, they seem like the ones we could probably eat. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because, like, how many dogs is that? That's probably like millions of dogs. Yeah. <clears throat> so, think about how much meat that would produce if we just went and captured them all, murdered them all, turned them all into dog steaks. Well, uh, one, one caveat to that, uh, caveat to that is uh, my, when I had chickens, my initial thought was like, okay, I'm going to raise these chickens when they stop laying eggs then bye-bye chickens and I'm going to eat chicken and, like, I'm going to learn how to, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a f farmer or, you know, whatever you want to call it. I'm just going to do this the way that you're supposed to. Um, I've, chickens aren't really edible after a year. Like, when they're mm. old, their meat gets, like, way too tough. Like, you can eat them if you're starving, but it's not ideal, and that's, like, they generally slaughter them when they're young, when they're still in egg-laying age, and so... I would imagine most starving dogs in a garbage dump would not actually produce meat that most people in the West would want to eat, unfortunately. Mm. They'd be like, no, I'll have a Soylent rather than <laughs> eating that tough, gamey meat. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't think that they would taste very good. Um, but yeah, no, my point is not that I think one is superior to the other or one experiences like a different amount of pain or suffering to the other. It's more so that just because I, I just don't trust my belief system because it's been like these ones have been drilled into me since birth. Yeah. And so I'm like, it's, I think it's just harder than we may give it credit for to throw something like that. Yeah. Um, to like get rid of a belief that's been told to you from the time you're born that like cow is okay to eat, chicken is okay to eat, dogs, cats, don't eat them. Like I think if you've been told that from like day one, it it becomes like pretty much impossible to shake that from like your belief system as these are okay, that's not. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know, that just set off a red flag in my mind of like, and when I started thinking that like that, it would be hard to maybe shake that if if that was the case. And I was like, I probably would feel this way about pretty much all meat if I uh, was raised from day one to think that all meat was disgusting. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, that ethical consistency argument was the one that, that got me in the end. But there's a lot of good arguments in that book. Yeah, I highly recommend checking it out. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm currently not a vegetarian, but I'm, I eat very, very little red meat. Um, like that's where I'm at, right? But I've been a vegetarian in the past. Um, and I suppose like if I'm, if I'm participating in meal replacement drinks, then I'm usually a vegan at that point. Like right. there's really no, uh. Yeah. I mean, I think like in terms of the overall problem of meat production in the world, if you go from eating meat one time a week to zero times a week, is that the same as going from eating meat two times a week to one time a week? Are you adding the same amount of effort into the project? Hmm. Maybe yeah, not I don't... quite as much with one to zero because then you're adding zero to it, but definitely yeah, two I... to four, uh, sorry, four to two and two to one, I feel like you're adding at least the same amount of like collective effort to some degree into the project of creating less meat production. I feel like 10 years ago when we were when we were worried about overpopulation and now we're like worried about underpopulation, but um, 10 years ago when people were like, oh my God, there's gonna be so many people in the world in, in 20 years. Um, Wait, are we worried about underpopulation right now? I'm, I'm, I, I know Japan is. Uh, China's having a lot of issues with it. Just I mean, because... there's still a shitload, like birth rates are still really high in places like Africa, right? Yeah, but underpopulation in developed countries is really, really bad for capitalism. It's really bad for economic things. And <laughs> so, yeah, like, you know, something that depends on growth. And then, mm. you know, when you have like the average family having, like, I think we're having, the average family is now having like 1.3 kids when, you know, to yeah. keep it up, they would be having two. Dude, my, my mom has 13 siblings. Wow. She has yeah. seven brothers and six sisters or something like that it's wild i have the that biggest family it's insane yeah yeah that's yeah i can't even imagine just being raised as an only child i can't even imagine like what it's like to have one sibling like you, you have be, a brother or a sister right my my father has two other kids um mm. but they're not from my mother so they're half siblings but yeah mm. I, I, you're I, like I raised uh, together no i didn't meet them until i was uh, an adult so um okay and I've only met them a handful of times, but they're, uh, yeah, but I, I was raised an only, only child. I didn't, I didn't really have that many friends either when I was a kid. It was pretty, which I think now is like why I can just like drive across the country by myself without finding it even remotely weird or lonely. I feel like that's my superpower is, <laughs> it's like not needing companionship for any, any length of time, but mm. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, I need some something to entertain me, but it doesn't need to be a person. It can be a well, it can be. I guess it does need to be a person because it's usually a podcast or a piece of music. I I had worried about you. It, it's funny. I didn't think about it until after you already had moved in here, and I was like, so like I moved down to Georgia, um, and just got a house in Smyrna and in like the in this wooded area, and was just kind of like not speaking to anybody for a really, really long time. And then I bought the house I live in now. And uh, and I was like, wait a minute, like that's not normal. I hope Bill's okay. <laughs> you know, like going from like, you know, these m much more social environments like San Francisco and Denver. And but even when I was in those environments, I was by myself a lot. Like I, I was yeah. in a relationship in Denver and SF. So I was like, you know, around my partner some of the time. But during the day, I was like just at like a separate place in Denver at a studio, like yeah. constantly. And I would stay there until like crazy late at night. So I wasn't seeing my partner even that often. And in San Francisco, I was in a poly relationship where my partner was 
uh, at her other partner's house half the time and yeah. then at mine like half the time. So I was alone. Yeah, I actually, I have no problem being alone either. I, I, I always like can find a way to like distract myself from loneliness, I guess, like whether it be via making music or listening to a podcast or like cleaning my house or just like, I'll always find something to do. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't experience boredom really. I don't. I don't think I do. Oh, you know what they say: only boring people get bored. <laughs> I I went to the beach uh, a few months ago, and it, like in just in Florida, I went to like a beach for four days, I think, and it was very boring. Like <clears throat> I I was, I mean, but you know, I was still like I was. It wasn't even like scuba diving friendly water, really, but I was still <laughs> just like scuba diving as or uh, yeah. Snorkeling, sorry, snorkel-friendly water. That, but I was still like snorkeling as much as possible and just like mm. keeping myself, you know, digging the sand until I found a crab, <laughs> you know, like, things like that. Like, how could I possibly entertain myself on this? Yeah, people ocean? ask me a lot. Like when I'm traveling, they're like, "Oh, where are you based now?" And all like all these small talk questions and shit. And I often am like, "Yeah, I live in Atlanta. I bought a house there. I just live there by myself." <clears throat> and when they ask me like what my life is like, I always describe it as. It's something that I think most, by most people's standards, is a completely, like, in, incredibly boring life, but yeah. I don't find it boring at all. I think it's, yeah. like, the, the there's no better possible way to live other than to dig into just shit that you want to dig into and go as far down that rabbit hole as you like. I think that's... Yeah, you, know, you when, do whatever like you Like, when, when I'm doing that kind of stuff, if somebody interjects, it, like, bothers me, you know? <laughs> right, yeah, and and that's kind of... It's kind of funny because ultimately, I think for both of us, like we don't answer it this way because it sounds arrogant. But if somebody asks us what we do for a living, like the real answer is like whatever we want. Like we just sort yeah, of wake up some, and do with, what we want to do. reason, you know, because yeah. I also have to pay my mortgage and stuff like that. Right. So it's, it's whatever I want that I also think is worth spending my time on to equal equal parts money and amusement. Like I'm yeah. not so concerned with money that I'll only do shit for money, but I'm also not like so not concerned with money that I'll do literally anything I want and not worry about whether or not something's going to make me money. It's like a balance there. There's How also are... a, an emotional balance too of like I'm not so emotionally strong that I'll just make things completely for myself and I'm also not so emotionally weak that I'll completely just pander to other people. So it's like this balance between these four things, I think. Yeah. Are you... Uh... Hey, as far as, yeah, I guess, like, how do you divvy that up? Is there, uh, like, are shows more of a money thing, or do you enjoy playing them still? Is it generally? I enjoy playing them. Um, so with pretty much anything, the shit that bothers me about it and stuff that doesn't, probably same with you and YouTube, you know, like there's probably components of it that you don't like doing, like certain parts of laborious research or certain parts of laborious editing or whatever. Um, for me, the laborious parts are obviously the traveling, um, the building of the sets, which I actually love doing, but it, um, parts of it get like really grindy. Yeah. I'm like, I need this like very polished set by Lost Lands this weekend. Like right now I'm just grinding on that. And, uh, because I don't have the option to not do it because I need to have this finished result by Friday, some of it can get a little bit painful but yeah. generally it's fine. But yeah, so um, I would say the the more money-earning things for me is sample packs, educational content on my website, shows, 
and then surrounding those three big money maker things I'll like write my own music and stuff to kind of propel the project forward and hopefully at some point get to a position where I can play much bigger shows less often yeah but I realize that it's going to take a quite a bit of grinding to get there unfortunately how is uh how's the education or the yeah I guess the the Ableton Ableton ear program how's that going it's good. Um, I put out a new series earlier this year called The Artemis to Bill Season 5, which okay. is a series I've been doing since like 2012 where I mm -hmm. explain like I just write a song and it takes like 30 hours or something, but I explain everything along the way and it's broken up into like 20-minute videos. Um, so basically just a here's how I do my thing course. Uh, and soon I want to make another course because uh, I made this course a long time ago called The Devices Series, which is what every single knob in Ableton does yeah. and some examples of like why you would use those things. Uh, but that was in like live eight and we're up to live 11 now. So I need to remake that at some point. Hmm. Um, actually, uh, it's going so well <laughs> that Vimeo hit us up the other day and was like, um, you're using way too much bandwidth. You need to switch over to an enterprise uh, thing, which is going to cost you five grand. Yeah. And we're like, we don't want to pay five grand, so we just moved all of our videos over to an AWS server, which is a lot cheaper, but also I've um, been getting a little bit of complaining about the loading time on them and the quality of them, unfortunately, so we're still working through that at the moment. That's good to know, yeah. Uh, Vimeo was giving... Yeah, I know Vimeo has been known to be shaking shaking people down lately. Um, yeah, they we were they were like you've used uh, you're supposed to use two terabytes or two yeah two terabytes of like data a month. Yeah, like you've used like fifty the last two months. Huh. So I was I was like, uh, so what do we do about that? And they're like, yeah, we want five grand basically, and and we're like, well, we'd prefer to not do that. So we just took the last course that I put up, which is like clearly where most of the views are coming from, and just put that course on AWS, and that seems to have like gotten the usage down enough for their liking, but at the yeah. cost of it being a little bit more work for us. Right. Interesting. Yeah, because I've, I've wanted to do one on FL Studio for a while, uh, just because I think every time I do any video on anything in FL Studio, a bunch of people are like, whoa, I'm not familiar with using FL Studio this way, because um, there seems to be like... Would you do this through YouTube or...? Um, well, I wanted it to be like a, a course that, that my way of... My original way of monetizing it would be for every person, for every one or two people who bought it, I would give away a pass to somebody who uh, you know, could provide... I, I don't know the specifics of this yet, but somebody who could provide some level of like evidence that they couldn't support it or maybe a student or, you know, something like that. Like, I, I kind of wanted it to be, like, similar to how my music school ran in Chicago where... Like, give um, away a pass to FL Studio, you mean? Like a license? No, um, I, I just mean to, like, similar to what you're doing, but I guess, like, for... So, for example, if, if a... If, where my music school was in Chicago was kind of, like, on the border between, like... A rough neighborhood and, and a wealthy one and and then like I guess Chinatown was like the third neighborhood like sort of bordering it and so every student who could pay for lessons would subsidize a student who couldn't um, and and it turns out that the profit margin of a music school is so high that that actually works out great as a nonprofit and it actually works out better than great like it almost was a you know we were almost like 
should we get a profit? Like this is actually a very sustainable business model. So for um, every two people who buy your course, you will yeah. supply the course to a third underprivileged person? Yeah, and but like, how do you how do you you know make sure that somebody or you know how would you even it's a lot of work somebody? yeah to like right. figure out who would, is being honest and who or is or you not. could just use an honor system in general just because somebody could just pirate the entire thing anyway so it's exactly, kind of yeah. <laughs> but uh, Skillshare was like um, they contacted me and. I don't think I'm under NDA, so I think I could talk about this. I think um, I remember you telling me this, but yeah, tell it anyway. Yeah, they contacted me, and they're like, "Hey, we want we want to do a Skillshare original. We'll be filming. Um, we'll do we'll do it over the course of like however long it takes. But you know, we could like send out a crew or have you come to New York um, and do an FL Studio thing, and it would be we do all the editing, we do all the other stuff. We have." It'd be given to our users, and I, you know, however much Skillshare costs a year, that's actually pretty cheap for my viewers. That's actually, you know, probably about what I would be charging them anyway. It's especially with my discount code that I'd be able to give them. The money was really good. They, they'd give me like this great affiliate deal on top of all this money. That, and of course, when they first approached me with the offer, I like asked for double. Um, for the amount of money up front, just because I'm a douchebag and I do that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and they were like, uh, we got to run it by, but yeah, okay, we could do it. And then I was like, okay, I got one more demand. Um, like, your, I looked at the Skillshare demographics and it was like, it's about 65% female. And I was oh, like, wow. okay, this is a really, because the demographics of my viewers on YouTube is like, most less than 10% female. And so right. this is a really good opportunity to make something that's friendly and inclusive to females for music production. And the best way to do that is to have me sort of showing a female producer how to produce on FL Studio, somebody who's already like a songwriter, some maybe even somebody established, and then having and then that way it would actually work out really well because I don't know what I'm skimping on and that person would be able to be like, hold on, I don't understand this. And, I, and that way you kind of get this better like two-person back and forth I've thought feedback. about doing this as well, like um, yeah. teaching somebody. Gardner is actually doing this right now on his YouTube channel. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, he's got a friend of his who doesn't know how to use Bitwig and he's teaching him how to use it yeah. and putting the videos up. Like, that's Makes a sense. great, it's a, yeah, it's a great way to, like, get feedback. But then also, like, it would be homophily because the female users of uh, Skillshare would see a female making bangers in FL Studio and then be like, hey, I could do that. You know, it, that's not just a white guy doing it. And, you know, that's how homophily works, unfortunately. Yeah, it's and, like encouraging. Yeah, and they were like... Oh, Ben, that is wonderful. We, we, I mean, we strive to, once you hear the strive word, you know, that like yeah. the shit that comes out after that's going to be terrible. Um, they're just like, we strive to, uh, you know, have this, uh, to, to, you know, make sure that like women and men and people of all genders are being, you know, are being given education, this and that, but we just, it has to be just you. And I was like, well, on a financial level, like, I will give half of my pay to this other person. I This will be coming out of my chunk of it. Like, I will pay for their travel, whatever it takes. I'll find them. But, like, I think that... The, and it just... It went back and forth, back and forth. Like, they just would not budge from that one weird thing. They just wanted it to be only me. And then finally they, like, 
ended up going with somebody else. So whoever has a Skillshare FL Studio uh, thing come out, if 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 they stuck with FL Studio, I'm F curious you, man. why. What's your theory on why they were so particular about not having you teach somebody? Do you think it was more? Yeah, I don't think um, they were like sexist. I think it was just like this doesn't fit with like the algorithm. That, yeah, it's like know. every course that we have is one person explaining a thing to you, not yeah. one person teaching somebody else to do a thing. I could see that. I mean, just like trying to keep it consistent with sort of how all the other courses are on the site rather than having one be like this different sort of model or this different sort of format or whatever. Yeah, and originally, but I was just like, so you'll pay me twice what you initially offered. You'll like bend on all these other things except for this one thing. I don't know. I'm not that, I'm not angry at them. I think I kind of learned why I don't want to work with a company like Skillshare or, you know what I mean, why I wouldn't want to work with a third party with something like that because... It's not like, a lot of flexibility in the format and like making it how you yeah. want to make it. And my idea was not like for the sake of wokeness. My idea was for the sake of like making a way better program and also having it apply to more people, like therefore selling more, right? So it's like, Kind yeah, it of, makes it's a win -win. sense. I mean, I yeah. think you should do it anyway, but just do yeah. it like through your own platform, like whether or not it's just straight up on YouTube or maybe you put like the first, maybe if it's like a, you know, 30 part, 30 video thing, put the first like four or five up on YouTube and direct people to the whole thing or something where they can yeah. pay to watch the rest of it. Or, yeah, I mean, it seems like a good idea. I think you should just do it anyway. Maybe I could like really just constantly message Imogen Heap and tell her like just every day I'll be She's like, the I'm ones not with stop. like the the hands, right? Yeah. The yeah. the yeah, but I mean she she has like a million. She's brilliant, but yeah, just be like she I'm not FL? gonna stop no, but like teach I could teach her how to use F F L and have her make a song in it and then just refuse to stop. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna <laughs> stop messaging you every morning until you do this. <laughs> she and she's so yeah. nice, she'd be like, Oh hello Ben, how are you? Oh no. <laughs> I'm busy. I uh, can't uh, yeah. do the accent. That's racist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, um, yeah, I was going to say, um, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I might get back to working on this set, and I'm sure you got stuff that you got to be working yeah, on Yeah, you got, you got the House of Visuals coming along. Um, it's good. So funny you had never used Resolume at all before this week, so we got a license for that off a friend and started messing with it. And it seems pretty easy. It's basically Ableton's clip view, but for video. Yeah. Um, we got a controller, mapped a bunch of shit to it. We figured out the like controller thing. We, we ended up figuring out that the MIDI fighter twister is a pretty good option. Yes, those things are awesome. Those things yeah, are yeah, really, it's really good cool. because like you can say turn the opacity of something up, but then just click it to snap it back to zero or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it has detent if you want that and all sorts of other stuff. What so, DJ controller do you have back there behind you? Oh, the Pioneer. Oh, this, these are just the Pioneer CDJ-1000 Mark IIs or XDJ-1000 Mark IIs, I think. Cool. They're the cheapest possible one that can support show control, Ah. which is why I got them because if I ever want to do like a – I thought for this show we were going to do a fully synced AV thing using show control, which is basically like a program where – you can inside show control, which like links with record box and all that stuff. You can say, here's a track that I'm going to play, play this ghost time code file under it when I trigger this track. And then at some point that specific sample number of white noise or whatever is going to trigger this video. 
So I thought we we're going to do that, but then we decided against it because it's a little bit complicated. And I also heard from a few people that it's kind of sketchy and goes out of sync a lot. So yeah, I know so I got was, yeah, yeah I know I got the Denon MIDI syncing as a that, that we're doing what people do on podcasts where like people can't bear it anymore. We're just like talking about like MIDI sync <laughs> with Denon. Yeah, so well, save that for uh, for another dinner. Um, Yep. But, but yeah, uh, well, hopefully we can hang out soon. And yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's so funny doing a podcast with you because it's so similar to just hanging out with you. Like yeah, it's, we it's just... literally like the, I, I feel like we probably talk about more podcstable things like hanging out than we do on podcasts. But yeah, I mean, I try something. to make the podcast just basically like that. You know, like yeah. it's a thing where <laughs> when people listen to it, they feel like they're just hanging out, listening to an interesting conversation or whatever. Yeah. I think part of the reason I might have told you this already why podcasts are so big is because like one to one like uh, focused conversation where two people just like focus on each other and talk to each other for for an hour or two is so rare these days like because yeah. of all the social media and phones and shit like so i think in some way people are just looking at it in awe they're like whoa yeah <laughs> wow a conversation <laughs> yeah yeah really like it's it's kind of like going back to like just that weird i don't know you know i, I always think of it as like when i was 16 of just like laying in a park and smoking weed and looking at the clouds and having an absurd conversation about something like that it's like that that should be the speed for the rest of my life for convert like that was the most <laughs> the most came out of those conversations when like what if this happened and then you just explore that and then you end up with like really good ideas and inspiration yeah stoner philosophy <laughs> yeah right yeah sick all right man cool. well um yeah i appreciate you and uh yeah hopefully we can hang out next week or the week after or something all right all right good luck with the show cheers all right later Yo, what's up? Thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. This show is produced and edited by Robert Fumo. You can get early access to the show by going to my website, mrbillstunes.com and paying me instead of Patreon. And remember to go rate and review on iTunes or I'm going to come to your house and punch your dog in the throat, upper deck your toilet and fuck your partner. Note, I may or may not do those last couple of things. Uh, you should probably just go rate it on iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is that you listen to the podcast on because it really helps the podcast. Um, but but just know that, that it'll go a long fucking way to me not doing those things if you do go do that. So uh, just, just putting that out there.